What's up, guys? Thank you for joining us. This is Eric and Martin, and we are calling you, or we are recording this right now, from the Concept House headquarters here in Munich. And um, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone that listened to our first podcast because we got a lot of really positive feedback off of that one, and I think it was really, really good, and um, just really very happy that uh, you guys uh, enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed creating it. Yeah, and I think um, it, it was for us, you know, it was great fun, that's the thing, but also we got so much great feedback that we just keep on doing that now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, absolutely. The first thing I think, you know, that we came up with over the past, let's say, a few weeks was, well, we actually needed a name. Yes. And we have come up with a name, and uh, it's going to be quite German, but there's a very, very lovely German word called Gestalten, um, which is not really an exact definition of design and what we know it in the English language. It's go, it goes much deeper. Uh, there's much, much more emotion within that kind of word. Um, and it has, you know, both a kind of artistic as well as uh, a very, very functional kind of meaning. So we thought in terms of what we do and in terms of what we want to talk about, uh, this is a great name uh, from 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 that perspective, uh, and we know that a lot of designers, especially within the German or you know the European kind of environment, like the name Gestalten much better than design. So uh, this is from now on the uh, Gestalten podcast. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, what we what we are going to do from now onwards is we're going to keep this a little bit shorter than we did last time. We'll but, try to. Uh, yes. We, we would like <laughs> to thank you uh, all for you know for the feedback that came through on this one. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to do this a little bit more regularly. So not just once a month, we'll try to do this once every two, three weeks. And yeah, so we hope you're going to like it. Please give us some feedback on the name as well. Yeah, uh, that's, well, definitely. That's the thing. We will obviously all, also put it into the description so you all know how to spell it in case you, you're <laughs> not familiar with the German word. And yeah, so one very, very big news that I'm very happy to you know announce in this one. This is the reason why Eric is here, obviously, as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Um Eric is now officially part of the Concept House design recruitment team, and we're extremely happy to do that. Um, but, I, of course, what's not going to happen is that Eric will still continue uh, with Form Trends, which uh, also, I think, for a lot of you guys is very, very, uh, you know, a, a very, very great source for, you know, day-to-day -day design uh, news and activities. But um, from my perspective, uh, welcome to the team, Eric. Thank you. We're very, very happy to have you. And... Um, yeah, we're, we're looking for great things together. I think Absolutely. That's, the, that's Absolutely. the most important thing. Well, I mean, there's, there's a few, two things that I want to comment on. One is the name of the podcast, which is something that I was quite happy to hand over to, uh, to Martin because obviously I can't pronounce it with the exactitude <laughs> that he can. But I do love the name because obviously it has different meanings based on different connotations. And I think it just fits perfectly. And obviously that has some symbolism with the fact that I'm sitting here in Munich now um, with uh, Martin in Concept House HQ. And I'm really delighted to come on board because I, I, with this company, because one is, you know, Martin and I have known one another for a little while now. And I love the way that Concept House uh, basically manages its activities. It's not just a, um, you know, a traditional, like, you know, headhunting agency. It's 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 far more personal, and that to me is what appeals greatly about my new role. And um, because, as most of you guys that know me um, know, that I I love the cars, I love the product, I love the design, but I also love the people aspect 
of this. You know, these designs don't create themselves. It comes with a, a, a huge team behind it. And I really want to, I'm looking forward to becoming part of the process that places people into these positions. So um, thanks very much for, for the opportunity, Martin. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate it very much. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, moving into the, uh, the next phase here. Yeah, and I think, you know, as mentioned, we're all very, very excited. But we don't want to delve too deep into that, you know, within the post podcast world. No. I mean, we, will, we will probably at some point in the future, uh, you know, when the time is right, talk a little bit about, you know, recruitment, I think, in general, because it's a very, very interesting topic. But um, we're going to be starting with something a little bit different yeah. uh, today. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some new cars. Yes. And we're going to talk about them, what we like about them from a design perspective, or maybe what not. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, in the, since we did the last podcast, obviously, we've seen a few things unveiled. Um, the, the one was, uh, you know, the, the, the big one, I suppose, was um, Rolls-Royce's first SUV. And um, that was, you know, obviously they have a different name for it. They're not calling it an SUV, just like BMW is not calling their um, SUV, of course, their first one, which is now in its fourth generation, the X5, an SUV either. They, you know, BMW Group likes to have special names for these vehicles, so the sports activity vehicle and the high-bodied vehicle uh, or high-bodied <laughs> sided, whatever the hell Rolls-Royce is calling theirs. Now, um, I don't know if Rolls-Royce, I mean, look, if you look at Rolls-Royce in terms of, uh, you know, trends and following, you know, into markets and increasing volume and, you know, doing something. Obviously, they're following the lead that was kicked off by, um, you know, Volkswagen Group uh, and, and Bentley, um, Lamborghini, and now Rolls-Royce. And Rolls-Royce, I suppose, is arguably the one that, you know, fits into creating an SUV the, the most. Um, but I, I, I think, um, you know, and it always kind of pains me to say this, but I don't know if it's the, the fact that it is kind of, you know, the baggage of Rolls-Royce, I guess, and, and what that company has in terms of heritage and history and luxury um, and, and what that signifies to me personally. Um, but, you know, obviously an SUV is going to be a cash cow. Um, what they've done is essentially, you know, based on a, uh, uh, a phantom kind of uh, size-wise, um, you know, with a lot of design cues coming from, you know, Rolls-Royce, um, other models in, in, in the, it has a couple of interesting elements, but I think reception to that car was not, you know, it wasn't all that well received. Now, whether or not it's, it's something that is having to do with, with my kind of personal, um, view of, of what Rolls-Royce should be doing and, you know, or my opinion of the company in general, and then they're coming up with this SUV that can go and travel across the desert. Um, I don't know, but generally it hasn't been all that positive, the feedback that's been coming from that. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, I have to personally say I share the, you know, the kind of, let's say, I'm quite bored with the ideas of SUVs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm driving a Q3 at the moment, you know, for you know, for the for the company, and it, it, there's just something about SUVs that I just don't like. They look they're very they look like they're very spacious, but at the same time, they're not really. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea, of course, and this is what I find very very strange about the Rolls Royce, and also about the the Lamborghini is a completely different story. But yes. um, 
the Rolls Royce is supposed to be a car about pure luxury, about a lot of space. Mm. And I just don't see a lot of space within those kind of SUV cars. So it's going a little bit against, you know, the idea of this kind of, you know, I have a lot of money, I can afford this kind of space. So almost like, you know, flying first class uh, on a plane. Um, but of course, you know, at the same time, this thing is going to sell like crazy because, you know, it is for... Uh, it, it is for you know a bunch of people that can just afford it, and it's also you know Rolls Royce has always been this kind of status symbol uh, for a lot of people, rather than just you know showing this is a great design. And you know, uh, you know, if I want to buy some blocky design, I can also buy a Volvo, like an old Volvo. You know, it's a, <laughs> it is those kind of things where I'm saying like I'm I'm not it's not my personal favorite. You know, I'm not a big Rolls Royce fan in that regard. Um, but you know, it has the right to be there. I think. But I would wish that they would continue to develop a little bit. I mean, it's mm. it's the same principle all over again. Um, but I just don't see any kind of long-term plan with that. I mean, maybe that's a part of... We spoke about this with BMW in the last podcast. Maybe it has something to do with the BMW strategy. strategy like, you know, milk the cow as long as you can. Mm. Um, but I just don't see that kind of, you know, what is new about it. It looks just like, let's take a Phantom, you know, make a nice little roof a little bit longer, a little bit higher, boom, that's it. Mm. Um, but has of course all the rights do i like it no personally i don't um but you know that's pretty much what you know everybody should think their own yeah. on, on 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 that kind of a design um but i think if we especially compare this, this is for a very very niche kind of market but if we're looking to what just released i think it was today or yesterday mm. uh which was the uh, the q8 which i think is going to be for even though this kind of premium luxury side for much, you know, for many more people than yes. the Rolls Royce. So, uh, w- what do you think about the Q8 when you saw the pictures and, and, and everything? I, I think I think the Q8 is is something that I can get on board with more easily. I don't know if now I'm kind of accustomed to seeing you know Q7s and 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 Q5s and Q3s and Q you know all these like, but to me it just kind of fits more into the brand, um, you know, an SUV and and. You know, to be fair to Audi, they did kind of hold true to concept, which is, well, I mean, nowadays, you know, you don't really show, so many manufacturers are not showing concept cars anymore. You've got, um, you know, cars that are basically, you know, 90% um, production and then they'll snap a concept badge on it. So um, it's, the Q7 is something that I think is, is quite appealing. It opens it up to a bit more of a, someone that's looking for a sportier style um, vehicle than they can get in a Q7. Um, but this is, you know, the flagship and it's, I think it's, it's quite nice, you know, I mean, it's um, um, the, the X5, which was also unveiled, uh, you know, very recently, um, which we see driving around Munich all over the place, um, still kind of disguised, but, you know, they're, they're in final tests and stages uh, at the moment is, you know, an evolution, you know, again, it's like the fourth generation of a product that BMW, um, you know, is, is doing quite well in terms of like, you know, driving capabilities and keeping the characteristics of a BMW. Because if you drive an X5, as I did recently, I drove a first generation um, X5 across France, um, you know, and, and that was in through pouring rain and treacherous weather, but, you know, it was a V8 powered one and um, from that same era, um, you know, I also regularly drive a, a Land Rover, um, a Range Rover 4.6 liter, and this was a 4.4 liter V8. I mean, from a driving characteristic, 
the BMW just kills the Range Rover. Yeah. And we're talking about the same model year and, and everything. Um, from a driving perspective, you know, BMW is always winning. Now, what I kind of, um, if we go back to kind of the Rolls-Royce era, the only real innovation in that car is the fact that because it is a luxury vehicle, um, they've pushed the rear seat so far back that it gives you that much more mm-hmm. kind of rear space. Now, whether or not people are going to be chauffeured around in that vehicle is a different story. What I think um, they missed out on was um, in the new Phantom, for example, is that that IP, you know, the, the fact that you can have artwork in, uh, that was a real beauty um, in terms of like, you know, putting some character into the vehicle, something that was so personalized and so, um, uh, so like, you know, art oriented, which is basically where I think these ultra luxury vehicles are, are moving is towards, you know, something very bespoke, something very tailored. And I think that, you know, Rolls Royce in that regard kind of missed, uh, missed mm. the boat. Um, but, uh, you know, personalization is, is huge. Um, at the moment, and that kind of leads me into another vehicle that we saw very recently and has absolutely zero to do with SUVs because SUVs are just like flooding the streets everywhere. You see an SUV, SUV, um, and every new car seems to be an SUV. But um, Ferrari basically came up with a, uh, a vehicle that was on the uh, based on the 458, um, and uh, you know, uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful car um, specifically made for a client. And they answered all of his wishes. Yeah. Um, you know, they made some specific references to the F40 because that client, um, you know, was um, was enamored by that car, as many of us all yeah. were. Um, also, uh, the the fact that you know references the uh, the original um, Stratos uh, concept um, and uh, vehicle from Lancia um, that was, you know. Again, in the DLO, that was another kind of um, uh, specific point. And, you know, I, uh, Flavio Manzoni of uh, Villa Deste was talking about, um, you know, how they came to devise this vehicle um, and the design of this car and, and how it, it is specifically tailored to that end user. And, you know, whether or not you like it, I think, it, personally, I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think from the rear in particular, I think the layered surfaces and and so forth. It's it's extremely well done. Um, and uh, to think about, you know, the, the car on which it's based, there's significant kind of changes in mm. innovation. And they're not even using carryover pieces mm. like tail lamps or headlamps, for example, which is really where the cost goes. So I, I think it's, it's, it's quite an appealing, um, you know, especially from the body side treatment, how they hit the vent. I mean, mm. that's I have no idea how much that car costs, but it could have not have been cheap. <laughs> yeah, but this is, I think, you know, for me personally, I do agree. Like, you know, it's a very, very nicely looking car. It's, it's so, it's, you know, aesthetically appealing. Like, you see it and it's just like, you know, oh, this is great. But what I really don't like about it, and this is this kind of one-off treatment about mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I, I do understand that Ferrari, you know, they have these kind of, small series production, you know, still relative to what, let's say, the bigger companies are doing, you know. But that takes it on to a level where where I'm going to, you know, where I'm second-guessing is what is their plan? Mm. Are they just because of the name trying to maximize profits with these kind of one-offs? And then they, they, they would be going, you know, so far away from this kind of 
you know, from, from let's say the normal customer. I mean, obviously Ferraris are very, very expensive, but at the same time, there is something that you can from time to time see them on the streets. And those kind of one-offs tend to be just in the garage and, you know, sit down, like yeah. people don't drive them. So they become this kind of untouchable thing. And for me, if it's untouchable, I just lose the, it just loses the appeal completely. Mm. Um, and, and, and this is a big problem for me. I mean, you know, it's, I, that for me should be like a concept car, you know, right. like it's a fully working prototype or something like that, you know, sell it like that, uh, but don't sell it as like a serious production car just because it is, it's a one-off. It, it just looks weird compared to like what you, what else you're doing, you know? And the question then is, so is your normal customer not good enough anymore so mm. that you go to these kind of one-off things? Uh, or is it, you know, you know, just again milking the cash cow, what we discussed earlier as well. Yeah. And this is a really a problem for me because this takes away so much of this kind of coolness of this car. Um, this, you know, we were talking about the, um, you know, kind of individualizing everything in the car, especially in this super high level. And this is something that I can really appreciate about Rolls-Royce because they give you the option, but they say, hey, it's still that car. So you cannot change everything apart with this guy. The sweep tail thing, you know, concept that mm -hmm. they have, or car, whatever yeah, you want to call yeah, it. For me, it's a concept again. Yes, yes. It's one-off as well. Like for me, you know, this just has the Rolls-Royce name and it's just, you know, they happen to do that. But someone with way too much money was able to, you know, able to get that done. Um, but yes. you can do that with uh, pretty much any kind of prototyping company nowadays. You know, they can build you that kind of car. So it loses that kind of appeal and this kind of normal individualization. Uh, gets on to the next level. So the question then is, you know, what's coming next? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, is, uh, you know, is a Lamborghini doing that as well? Is like, you know, a Bugatti is taking that to an extreme already with like, you know, very, very small amount of numbers, but um, still individualizing, but still saying, hey, this is the car. So you cannot change the car, but you can, you can change pretty much all the colors, all the materials and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So are we going more than, you know, with this kind of trend at the moment with these one-offs? more towards into this kind of, you know, I have enough money, I'll have my own car with just a cool you know, brand on it in that mm. kind of regard, uh, or what's going to happen next. And this is for me really the point where I said, it's like, I was really disappointed that they, you know, the way they marketed it as well, this is like, oh, you know, this is this really cool thing. Yeah, but you're not going to build it again, no. you know. Um, yeah. So if you don't build it again, so what's the appeal? Like everybody's like, yeah, you know, it's a cool thing. Yeah, it is, but, you know, no, you will never see it on the street. And in the end, for me, the car, and you know, if you look at the car as a sculpture or as a, you know, as a little bit of a piece of art, yes. then you get into the point of saying, just like, hey, I want to see it on the street. You know, like I go to a museum because I want to see something. I don't just want to have it, um, you know, on a picture or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is my, you know, that's why I struggle a little bit with this kind of ideal. Um, but in the end, of course, yeah, I mean, if, if you see it as a piece of art, it looks absolutely beautiful. I mean, you know, who would not want to have that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Let's be very honest. Mm. But yes. in the end, it's just like, you know, compared to the Rolls-Royce or, you know, the, the Q8, the X5 and stuff like that, it's nothing that I would say just like, you know, yeah, you cannot compare it because it's just, you know, they will not build it again, probably due to contract or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So that's what I find a bit strange. But I think it's a, it's a, well, it's a very interesting time right now in the auto industry because you've got so many people dedicating resources into finding the next stage into autonomy, into level four, level five, um, you know, talking about how these things are going to progress. And that to me is, is, is massively interesting because, you know, if you've got a car that drives itself, you know, what happens to traditional brand values like, you know, BMW and the driver's car, mm. for example, you know? Um, so I think 
Ferrari is not going to make an autonomous car, right? So they have to cling on to something which is their USP and something which is very low volume. Um, indeed, as you've mentioned, a piece of a, a work of art, you yeah. know, and, and, and a piece of art that hopefully isn't just, you know, relegated to some sort of museum or put in some guy's living room in a, in a glass, you know, yeah. in a glass cube or whatever. But um, that's kind of the way that things are going. You know, you've got cars. And, and so I, I, I want to reference this, actually. Um, there's an, an article that was written by Alex Roy. Um, recently, and he he writes a bunch of articles on autonomy, and I agree with him a hell of a lot of them, um, because he has a little bit of a skeptical viewpoint on autonomy and what that is going to mean. Because obviously he's an enthusiast, mm-hmm. and we all are enthusiasts, and we love to drive, you know. And, and um, it really kind of opens up a can of worms when you start talking about all of these cars that are going to be. You know, basic appliances. You know, like uh, you know, cars that are going to chauffeur us around and and shared vehicles. And you know, who wants a shared? I don't know. I don't. To me, a car that on cruise control is 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 not appealing at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I mean, I do see the appeal. Obviously, you can you know put it in autonomous mode and and bypass traffic jams and you know catch up on some emails or whatever and watch Harry Potter. Well, the thing is driving along, but I think you know from a, from a brand that creates a whole mess of issues, and um, so you know in this in this article on twenty twenty five AD, which was written by Alex Roy, um, I, I I'll, uh, you know it's basically just try to do a Google search on it or whatever because um, he mentioned a very interesting quote from uh, Sochiro Honda, who is the the founder. Uh, the Honda Motor Company, and you know, he basically built, developed the company from a, a small bicycle repair business and, and into a worldwide enterprise. Obviously, everyone knows Honda. They built bike, um, motorcycle engines. They built uh, ATVs, lawnmowers, motorcycles, cars, and you know, in this article, basically, he talked about the surviving six and Morgan, and um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to pull a quote from this because. At the end of the article, he talks about why, you know, the, the surviving six, obviously, you know, they could be the five or the seven, but it's going to be the big companies that actually get new mobility. And I'm not going to go into the, you know, like I said, go and read this article yourself. But um, the reason why Morgan was thrown in there is, you know, and, and, and this is a direct quote from, from Alex Roy's article. He says, if the makers of unreliable, wooden-framed, lightweight, fun-to-drive, uncomfortable, yet hyper-exciting sport cars can survive in the era of Miatas and Boxers, there will always be a place for brands selling emotion. And that is, uh, I think that is perfect for, for us. You know, fortunately, there's, there's some hope for us car enthusiasts um, out there. And that is, I think, the perfect segue into right now what is... A huge, huge deal in the design industry right now, and that is user interaction and user experience design. Yeah. Experience design is massive, and that is the way that you're going to differentiate in the future, certainly with autonomous vehicles, um, one brand's experience from another. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on UI UX? In particular, I mean, I got a. <laughs> let me, before we, I got, 
I got so many, like, I get, just recently, like, you know, yesterday, I got an email from a guy saying, you know, can you cover more UX? Because from a car design perspective, this is still such a kind of gray area. No yeah. one knows what's happening. Yeah. User interface, user experience, it's like, you know, they're not even, car designers are like, you know, it's kind of like in the old days when, yeah. you know, there were car designers and then there were or there were engineers yeah. and they were both car enthusiasts but they were working in different sides of the studio, yeah. not even in maybe in the same building. And then they had to kind of come together like, like, like goats and like butt heads and like, you know, you know try to fight for yeah. what they wanted to achieve. No, I, I think the really, really interesting part that we have to kind of put up front before we go into detail is of course, um, the idea of, I don't really want to call it UI UX at the moment, the digitalization, mm. the digital world coming into the car. Because if we look into, let's say, even like, you know, five, ten years back, uh, we didn't have things such as CarPlay. We didn't have, you know, any kind of Google connection or something like mm. that. We had a maybe like, you know, a general GPS, you know, a little bit of a button or something like that. So this kind of idea of digitalizing the car with all the things that come with it. So, you know, driver assistance systems and all these kind of things. Um, was something that was recognized because it was tech, you know, technology made it possible and stuff like that, but it was never really taken that seriously. And this kind of idea only became of importance about 10 years ago when Apple started the iPhone. Mm. Yeah, because then you have everything in your pocket. When you have everything in your pocket, and I mean, every, probably every you know, of our listener has a smartphone. So you can do everything with a smartphone. You don't even need a computer anymore. And if you know, if we if we take the technology and we look into the uh, WWDC from Apple from just a few days ago, they didn't even cover the iPad anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they covered the Mac a little bit because it's you know something that you know they kind of grew up on. But their main stuff was on the iPhone and on the Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can see something very very similar within the car industry, is that the car industry focused a lot on. I would say screens. Mm. I wouldn't even want to call it experience because at the moment what happens, and we, we, we saw that with Tesla, so we have the big screen in, in, in the center console. Um, we, we see that with what Mercedes is doing at the moment, obviously with their MBUX, um, and we will get into like the actual user experience in a little bit, but you know they have two screens pretty much separate next to each other. Mm. Uh, we do have the Byton with this massive coast-to-coast -coast screen, mm. um, and then you have the much more traditional Let's say you know Volkswagens, Ford, GMs with one screen just in the in, in, in the middle console, like you know ten inch, twelve inch, or something like that. Um, but in my opinion, the, the really really big issue that we have is that it has not been defined within the car industry as a whole what is experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is a fundamental problem. Uh, we're always talking about this, but. If you would really wander around and you talk to a number of people, nobody could tell you what the experience is. Everybody will tell you something different, yeah? And so the idea behind talking about an experience, I would say, uh, starts always on the fundamental part, not on the digital side, but on the, on the creative side when we talk about volumes, yeah? And when we talk about, again, coming back to the topic, you know, the name of our podcast, Gestalten, so, you know, to, to draw inspiration from certain kind of things. So... Uh, I always expect, and I have this conversation with a lot of chief designers, I expect a designer, interior, exterior, whatever, also to be an experienced designer because you, when you are working on a product, you're not an artist. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You are working towards selling the product. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So you have 
a core audience that you're aiming towards. So you're also an experienced designer. If you don't understand what you're doing or how this is supposed to be used, then you have a problem. Yeah. Right. So this is this is the, this is a fundamental point. Um, so this kind of idea, I, I don't want to say I reject the idea of like, an experienced designer, um, but it has to be defined differently. I think this is this is the fundamental point. Um, but the biggest kind of issue that I see in the in the car industry is that the digital world and the classic kind of you know design interpretation has not been coming together yet. Mm -hmm. in, in in not one company this has really come into one big team. Um, not a Tesla, you know, uh, definitely not because it is almost like okay, so we have the content, what is on the screen, mm -hmm. yeah, or what happens on different kind of screens. I mean, Tesla has this cool feature where you can open your car on a phone, mm -hmm. yeah, so you don't need a key anymore; you just have your phone. Uh, that's obviously part of this whole experience, customer experience as well. Um, but has anybody within the design department really had anything to say on what the content is, you know, how the content looks, what is the graphics that look behind it, all these kind of things. And I just see that from so many different car manufacturers that they are split, similar to what you just said. You had the engineers back in the day and then you had the designers. Nowadays, you have the digital part and you have the physical part still. And in very, 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 very few cases, they come together. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're very, very honest, we can see that in every single car that we're going into at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You can see there's a very, very clear difference on, hey, this was not done in accordance to what those guys are doing. This starts with the design language. Yeah. You know, it starts to a certain kind of with color and trim, you know, that the, you know, it just doesn't match whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, the controls are in most cases absolutely horrendous. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, you know, we, we had the chance to be in in, in, in in the BMW 4 Series lately, and they have this automatic. Um, I think it's like a, a charging station, you know. But the box is so small uh, that you know almost no phone fits into that. That you know, <laughs> it, it, it's those kind of basic things. Like, yeah, it's great to have that kind of feature, but. Either you say, okay, I can only use that with this and that device, or you need to make it as big that it works for every device. Yeah. And this is really the thing. There's, you can clearly see the two worlds are not coming together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. Because that is then the kind of experience. If I want to charge my phone, I don't care which kind of car it is. You know, And in the end, you go back and using your, your USB cable mm -hmm. and plug it into the USB port in the car. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what makes this very, very difficult. And I think within, um, because you know we're talking so much about the idea of the car becoming like you know this this phone style. So um, I think it was uh, William Lee from Neo. Uh, he's the he's the CEO of Neo who said, "Oh, you know, it is our goal to actually create a closed system, uh, similar to what Apple did." Well, the thing is, Apple did that so well from the software to the hardware that this kind of closed system. You're not forced to keep it, but you want to keep it because it works. It works from a hardware perspective, it works from a software perspective, and it works from a, let's say, you know, a, a design perspective as mm -hmm. well. Like everything mm -hmm. fits together. Yeah. There is no car company at the moment who can do that. Yeah, yeah? they either can do um, the software part very, very well. Yeah, um, I think you know if, if you know, play around a little bit with the need, the Nomi system from Neo, that actually works very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, but the car just looks horrendous. Mm. So the, the hardware part doesn't really work. You know, for me, there's something that, you know, the appeal of putting everything together just doesn't work. Mm. Um, and this is really what these guys have to understand. It's like, you know, when, when you talk about the customer of the future, like, you know, the brand evolution, 
Um, of course, we're all talking, you know, going towards these closed systems. They're going to be run by Apple OS or they're going to be run by Android OS or whatever. You mm -hmm. know, uh, there is a certain kind of basis. But at the same time, they try to all have them, you know, within a working overall system. Mm -hmm. But I don't see anybody yet on a level that this will work out. And I, this is for me the biggest problem of UI UX at the moment. Um, everybody's talking about it. You know, um, you have so many new studios. Uh, especially in California, mm -hmm. these kind of what they call X Labs or whatever, yeah. you know, the UX Labs. Um, and we will be, you know, we will be talking in the future, future podcast about those kind of studios in a bit more detail. But um, I don't see a plan what they want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more just like, yeah, let's research a little bit what could happen. Let's see what we can do with the technology. Yeah. Um, but there's very, very little interaction with an interior team, with an exterior team, right. with how can we actually implement that technology in a car. Uh, that it works as an overall product and mm -hmm. not just say, you know, this works out very, very great. Um, and I think, you know, the Mercedes system is a very, very good example for that. I, you know, that if you play around with that MBUX a little bit, the AI that stands behind it is amazing. I mean, you know, we've never seen anything like this in a car before. Mm -hmm. um, but it, there is just something in terms of the interaction. There's too many buttons. The vents don't really fit into the whole, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. There is something that is not appealing in terms of the whole user experience and the user experience is then you know how to use buttons and you know how to interact with it mm -hmm. um, a similar thing uh, to give an example again would be with BMW and the gesture control you know it's just a toy like you don't need it you know you can have the gesture control but it also has a voice recognition so I can say yeah turn up the volume rather than just do this kind of weird <laughs> you know round uh, gesture with your finger um, <laughs> and and this is this is exactly, I think, the problem that we have in the car industry at the moment is that, and this is my appeal to a lot of people, it's like less is more. Mm. Make it easier. You know, you don't need to have every single technology in there. And it is it is much, much more convenient to say we do a number of things very, very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the content is obviously very, very important, like what is shown, what isn't shown. But we have to be very, very honest. We're still driving the car. So I want to have something that works well that is easy to use yeah and that's obviously then you know uh, you can you can have that criticism with you know this kind of level four level five autonomy and just like oh you know how far do you want to take it you know what's going to happen with autonomy what doesn't happen with autonomy uh you know what kind of technology can we actually include what is it that we need what is it that we don't need you know seat systems that can turn around so you don't even look onto the streets anymore all these kind of things but i think at the moment the, the, the funny thing is we're looking very, very far ahead of the future in into the future and we're looking into all these kind of things such as autonomy and you know, but let's be honest, this is not gonna happen in two thousand twenty five and two thousand thirty because the infrastructure is just not there. Mm -hmm. So we should be going a little bit backwards and just see, okay, so what is it that, you know, is really helpful to let's say really enhance the driving experience and make the driving experience easier, you know? And this is the thing for me personally and from my own experience from talking to a lot of people uh, which is the really, really big trouble. You know, a lot of people are trying to work out holograms and like, uh, you know, any kind of weird gesture systems and these kind of things. It's all great. And I all encourage you do these kind of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But think about what is happening at the moment, because at the moment there's so much information. I recently got into a car. I'm not going to say which one it was. Mm -hmm. And I thought I know how a car should be used from the interior. I had to look up the manual. Ooh, that's never a good thing. Yeah. Story. Because there were just so many options, I just did not know what to do. 
And this is the thing, you know, this is then, yeah, you know, we have all these kind of, these, all these kind of features and stuff like that. Yeah, but if I have to look them up, yeah. and this is the thing, if we go back to Apple, why are so many people using an Apple phone? Because it is easy to use, yeah. you know. My grandma can use that Apple phone because <laughs> it's that simple. And the simplicity is, I think, what's, uh, what's really missing within the whole idea of UI UX within a car. Um, and I think that's also kind of a general problem that we have at the moment. Everything needs to be very muscular, very aggressive. So mm-hmm. we're going away from these kind of simple shapes. We're going, you know, more edges in that kind of regard. And we see that in in, 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 in the interior as well. And I would count the UI UX on the interior, uh, on the interior part. This, for me, should be one team. There should be no differentiation. They all should be working together. Mm. Um, and I think then we would get an overall better product. Um but I, I, I still don't understand why it splits. You know, obviously there's certain different kind of levels of UI and UX. You have like a corporate UX. You have, a, let's say, um, then a, depending on how your structure of the company is, but you have a brand UX. You might have um, for a specific series of cars that you have a UX for that one, of course, you know, luxury, mid, mid-level, all these kind of things, mm-hmm. which is all fair enough. Uh, but it becomes confusing, you know. And if... If we're talking about the user and the user becoming more and more lazy, they don't want to. They don't want to learn. You know, it's supposed to be working right away. And I think this is the fundamental point at at this moment in time. Yeah, we're not looking. At, I'm not saying at the moment what's going to happen with autonomous and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. What I what I'm expecting in the next five years is make the user interface, in, in, you know, user interaction. So you know, not the interface, the interaction in general from the interior, from an exterior perspective, simple. Yeah. If it's not simple, you know, that's something that Steve Jobs already said. If it's not simple, then you have a problem, you know, mm-hmm. or Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply enough, you just, it's just not well executed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's not well executed, but know your customer. And I think in terms of UI, UX, a lot of those companies do not know their customer. Mm. You know, they think let's put this technology in, we get the headlines and like you know, uh, in, in the kind of Wired magazines and like you know the auto cars and auto builds in Germany and stuff like that. But in the end, you know, if you ask your customer and who buys your car, or what is it that you want to do? What kind of features are you actually using? You can always put stuff on top, but there's it's just too much at the moment, and mm. I think. Um, this is the funny thing for me when we're talking about Ferrari you know the Ferrari steering wheels are a perfect example for it. they're just so overloaded with, with, with information in terms of stuff that's, ha- that's happening on them um, but I can understand that because it's a sports car and if it's a sports car mm. you need to have certain kind of things but I don't need that on a steering wheel in the BMW or in a Mercedes or something like that so mm. you know know your customer be a little bit more simple. You know, if you aim for Apple, then look at Apple, what are they doing? They simplified everything up to the point where people said, oh, now this is boring, you know? Right. Um, and, and and this is the interesting part for me personally about this kind of UI, UX area. And of course, um, you know, from, 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 from the perspective of the OEMs, you know, um, have a strategy. I think, you know, like they all say they have a strategy and they, 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 they plan on things, but... Um, you know, there's so many uh, agencies out there that try to help out and they all have different kind of ideas what should be the right thing for a car and stuff like that. But at the same time, you should get into a position of saying, it's like, okay, we have this general kind of thing that we want to aim for and then we have the different kind of series cars. 
um, to to then develop that in a little bit more differently. Um, and I just I, I just sometimes don't think that the the overall strategy where do we want to be in three, four, five, ten years uh, is is set onto that kind of level. It's more reactive. Yeah, mm. it's reactive based on the way what the the, the phone industry is absolutely, doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and when you're reactive, you're not in a, you know you're not innovating anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and if we just look, you know, we have this kind of trend at the moment, the screens are becoming bigger, uh, then you get into the question, what do you want to show on the screens? You know, yeah, move, you know, it's easy to show a film, but if I have a phone, I can, I can watch it on my phone. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is where it becomes interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think the, the, the era of big screens is obviously very much upon us, but it's a, it's a way for companies to show that they're kind of leading the charge, you know, and, and I think Audi, you know, their system, um, you know, in terms of UI is, is probably the best executed. But at the same time, Audi has been a technology leader um, in many different areas for many, many years. Now, the, the problem, I think, with um, what we're seeing uh, at the moment is that you know, there's there's very little design consistency. Um, you know, it's it, it, for me a design rates successful when there's a sense of continuity. Hmm. Now, perhaps that's a personal opinion, but I think definitely if you look to see what's being integrated at the moment in terms of um, you know some information that is being thrust onto the the customer. It's because there's so much information, because that is what customers are used to seeing on their cell phones, on, you know, whether it's through Apple or, or uh, you know, another um, form of uh, uh, another personal communications device. But, it, you know, it could be Android, it could be Apple, it's the same thing. Um, they're used to a certain thing, so that's what car makers are feeding to them. And, you know, a lot of the time it's... Technology just moves at a different pace than the yeah. automotive industry. So they're still obviously trying to play catch up. And you're absolutely right. I think there should be a kind of limit on what it is that they're providing, not giving so much information, especially information that is not intuitive. Because mm. when you start having to check uh, a user manual, that's just, you know, that's just sounding the death knell right there. But um, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, you mentioned Nomi, I think, um, you know, China connectivity is, is just leading the charge. You know, yeah. They do things way differently, and it's, uh, it's, it's very, very appealing. Um, but, you know, so you're, you're actually going to be at um, NCES Asia. Yes. Next week. Yes. So I think you're going to see some very, very interesting things. <laughs> I'm very, very excited about this. Um, so, yeah, I will, be, I will be at CES Asia. We will obviously put some stuff on Instagram and stuff like that while mm -hmm. being there. Um, so... We will, of course, just to kind of, you know, close the topic on UI UX on this one, we will come back to this. Yeah, yeah. And we all want you to give us some more, some more feedback. What is it that you would like to hear about? You know, what is it that you would like us to discuss as well? Because we know, I mean, we had this discussion up front. This is such a massive topic and we just literally just scratched uh, the surface here. Uh, and we will come back to that and we're actually very, very excited to talk about that. And... Um, it's going to be interesting to see what's what's happening at CS Asia. I mean, we were both at CS in Vegas, mm -hmm. um, and we saw you know the premiere of uh, of the Byton Concept One. We saw also the premiere of the Toyota, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the kind of box for the 2020 Olympics, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was very very interesting. And yeah. in that kind of regard, we we saw the Fisker, mm -hmm. and um, um, I, I expect a lot actually from CS Asia because in, in terms of the industry that is there, in terms of you know how far they push it, 
bringing things together also with the car industry um it's it's absolutely fantastic i mean you know everything that's coming out of china at the moment the speed that they're working on i mean you know in europe we're working on the five year five year car development they do the whole thing in two years mm -hmm. um so they are trying to catch up with that kind of technology and I'm very, very intrigued of seeing how they implement that from that perspective. Uh, we saw some teasers of the Biden car with, like, you know, the, the, the litter sensors on the on the on the roof of the car, mm -hmm. and are they going to be integrated? We saw some cars in Beijing that had that in this kind of weird taxi style, you know, mm -hmm. on, on 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 their roof. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, I think Hyundai is going to going to show something as well, if I if I saw that correctly. So. Um, and obviously all the suppliers. I think the suppliers is where really it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what is it that they're going to, they, they imagine what is possible also within within the Chinese after, you know, car industry and the yeah. car market. This is, I think, um, a very, very, uh, you know, kind of from a directive perspective, a very, very important show. And I'm looking forward to kind of compare what, you know, has, you know, has been shown then at CES Asia. And then what we will be able to see at, uh, you know, Shanghai Motor Show next year, mm. because that's about a year away from each other. And, you know, how much of te that technology will already be included in either those kind of show cars, prototypes or whatever. I think this is then, this kind of time frame is going to be super, super interesting. Yes. You know? um, and, uh, yeah, but we will obviously do... Uh, we will do another podcast. <laughs> yep. We, we will do a podcast where we're then going to review what we saw at uh, CES Asia. Mm -hmm. That will be in about two weeks' time. Right. Uh, two, two, three weeks' time, depending on a little bit on how, how our schedules are yep. Yep. in that regards. But um, in the meantime, please, again, send us some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And you know where to find me, um, forumtrends.com. And uh, if I can help you in any way. Uh, you know, if you're an experienced designer, if you're a new designer, hit me up, let me know um, if I can help you out. Martin is at Concept House um, Consulting dash consulting. Correct. Dot com. And you can hit us up on Instagram, um, you know, LinkedIn, I'm, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter. I think we do as well. Yeah. Some some tweetage, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're at Concept House or at Form Trends. Um, you can find us in a in a bunch of different areas. Um, so whatever you know, whatever appeals to you, yeah. we're, we're on there. Um, so yeah, please do send us some feedback. Drop us a line. Um, we're both on LinkedIn. Yep, of course. So um, you know, look us up and uh, yeah. And until you will, you will be hearing from us then uh, in a few weeks' time. Exactly. Until until the somewhere. until the next one. Um, we are signing off. We're signing off. Have a good one. And uh, you will hear from us very, very soon. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.